everyone. Welcome to Real Women Real Estate Podcast, episode 33. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. Yay. All right, guys. My name is Ebony. I'm Kimberly. I'm Courtney. And of course, we're Real Women Real Estate. And today we have a super informative episode. We're going to be discussing all things appraisals with Marcus Hill. Um, he is going to share with us what appraisals are, what they're all about, why they're important. So we're definitely looking forward to that. But before we get started, you know, we have a quote of the day. And this is by Courtney's favorite, uh, I would say, real estate influencer. It is, as an immigrant, I didn't feel like I belonged in America until I owned a home. And that's by Brian Boutini. That's your guy, right, Court? Yeah, I, you know what? This is going to sound bad, but he, he has a wife that is of the culture. He is an Irish-American, and because of that, you know, I had to give him a little shout-out. Shout-out to that for understanding the sisters and respecting it. Yes. For the culture. For the culture. I like it. All right, everyone, let's get down to business. I want to introduce you guys to Mr. Marcus Hill, our guest for the day. Marcus is a native of Little Rock, Arkansas, and is a real estate mogul who is 15 who has a 15-year portfolio that spans from real estate appraisals, property management, loan origination, and real estate investing. His career in the real estate industry began haphazardly at the age of 23 when he was introduced to the appraisal process. From that moment, he began building the foundation for his success. Three years later, Hill would launch his own real estate appraisal firm, being one of the youngest in the South to work in the industry. Still being one of the youngest in his industry, Hill continues to use his knowledge and resources to help underserved communities. So thank you for joining us, Mr. Hill. We're certainly happy to have you. Great. It's great to be here. Yes. So we're going to jump right on in. And uh, first of all, let's just kind of understand a little bit more about how you became an appraiser. I know you said you it kind of happened haphazardly. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Sure. So I went to college and uh, did a double major in criminal justice and sociology. So after college, after graduating, I wanted to move back home and pursue law school. So in the in preparing for law school, I got an opportunity to work for an appraiser. It was a friend of the family uh, that kind of introduced me into the business. I didn't think about law school anymore after I started with him so so uh you know how some things can just change your whole direction of your life that's kind of what happened to me and it happened to me at a young age that's awesome i love hearing about stories of like just meeting the right people just put you on a total different trajectory and i'm gonna take just a small step back because i think we just kind of jumped in assuming that everybody knows like what appraisals are and I think I've heard of it before, but I've never really worked directly with an appraiser. So can you tell me what an appraisal is and like why it's important? Well, that's the common thing all across America. Most people do not know what an appraisal is unless they get ready to buy a house. And so basically appraiser is there to give an objective, impartial, unbiased opinion of value. Typically, banks and mortgage companies order appraisals before they can give the loan to the uh, person that's purchasing a, a house. So they want to ensure that before that, before they give 
that money for that house, that uh, the value is there above or at the purchase contract. And who's the client? Like who in this process, you know, understanding what an appraiser does, valuation of the home, who is your responsibility to? Like who is your client? To me, I feel like our client is the, is the buyer because this person is selling this property at a certain price point. And if it's not worth that, then that transaction doesn't need to happen. And the, the client is the financial institution as well because, you know, they want to be sure that the money that they're lending is appropriate. They're not lending this money on this house that's not worth what a seller is trying to sell it for. Okay. So just to kind of like unpack some of the things you said, basically an appraiser is someone that's either hired by the bank or someone that is brought in by the buyer to appraise the property and be an independent third party to actually assess what is the true value of the home. And you're working for this either the bank because the bank will be the one that is, I guess, um, hiring you to say, hey, is this worth me covering this loan for this amount? Is right. that right? And, yes. And then, you know, there are several situations where persons found their dream home and there's a situation where that price that the seller is trying to sell it for is just not worth what they're trying to sell it for. So, you know, in that situation, you know, the seller may have to readjust their price, which a lot of them don't like to do. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. You got to basically you're keeping sellers honest and you're protecting the banks, or the financial institution resources. So I think that's interesting that you say that because here in the Bay Area, it's homes are expensive, but the value of the land is what is so expensive. So a lot of times the home doesn't make the appraisal. It's not going to make the price because the demand for for homes is just so much here. So a lot of times that person will have to come in and cover it. And so here we're constantly walking behind the appraiser. Hey, you, here goes the homes. Here goes the schools. Here goes the things that have sold in the home trying to get that to cover. So can you kind of just explain, are you underwater um, in a sense, if you buy a home that is that doesn't appraise at the price that you pay for? Or do you look at it more as like, this is just my professional opinion? Yeah, and that's what, what it is at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's just an opinion. So, but people are making decisions off your opinion. And so lots of deals are done in cash, but you know, I would suggest get an appraisal if you're gonna, you know, do something like that. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, everything has to have a value and we're here to make the best decision for everybody, you know? And so uh, even if the property may be undervalued or I've, I just feel like you really have to just trust, you know, your appraiser to kind of tell you what, what the number is and kind of, make all decisions based on that, you know. You know, there's lots of people that uh, put their homes on the market. They can be on the market for two, 300 days, you know, <laughs> but they want this certain price, you know, and that's their choice, you know. But at the end of the day, 
people take our opinion and make decisions off of it. So I think in any business, in any financial business or anything, I would trust the person that that is paid to give their opinion on on value. So. So question, when you were saying about how, you know, if it's underappraised, do you find it or is it common? Because I'm not familiar, but is this common for someone to be like, oh, I don't want to go with that appraisal, I can get another one? Yeah, well, typically if you're going to get a fine, use a, a financial institution to get a loan, uh, typically that appraisal is going to be good for a certain amount, especially if you, a, a, a certain amount of time. So, so really it's just, it is what it is at the end of the day. I think certain requirements with FHA and different kind of loan programs, uh, once it's appraised, there may be a certain amount of time that has to go by before you know, another appraisal can be done. But also too, uh, with uh, lending institutions, um, you know, say for instance, like on a refinance and you have this one value, two years later, you know, the value is not really adding up to what the value was two years later, you know, usually they have options where they can order another little, uh, not a full loan appraisal, but maybe some type of desk review to kind of, you know, just kind of check and see what's going on in the neighborhood, so. So basically once the appraisal goes in, you can't get another one until the time lapse. Yeah, I mean, that's typical for the market. So, I mean, that wasn't the case, people would be ordering five, 10 appraisals a day because <laughs> a lot of people don't like their value, you know? So. Well, that's my question. <laughs> if I don't like their value, can I go get another yeah. one? <laughs> but, you know, there's just, there's certain things that's out there, you know, if you don't like your value, every, typically it's a lot of appraisals are done within the standard. And so, but there's like options of, uh, you know, every, Every state has an appraisal board where you can kind of go and contest properly or, you know, if you feel like something's not done right. You know, every every appraisal board, every state has their own appraisal board. So that's something new. I didn't know that every state had its own appraisal board, but I guess kind of to your point, like it makes sense like to have that governing body so that everyone kind of at least has a starting point <laughs> for, right, for right. what to be expected. So I guess one question would be like if i'm a homeowner and i'm you know i'm thinking about selling i've already owned this house and i still have some some time to maybe make some adjustments to my my space what could i add or what additions um typically make the highest impact to an appraisal well definitely your kitchens and baths i would um, a lot of people think oh i can add square footage you know that's always an option too but i would just say kitchens baths different type of finish outs pools those are probably the main thing that you know contributes some value worth of value but uh that's what i was gonna say not to cut you off but that's what i was thinking like they say adding square footage is the guaranteed way to add value so you can have pretty much a jacked up kitchen you can have, not, not you know, completely outdated, but you don't have to put all your money in the kitchen. But mm -hmm. as long as you have a square footage that has been added onto, like that's ultimately like, oh, they added, they added square footage, that's it. Yeah. So that's not I true? Would, yeah, I mean, but there's 
things called Holiday adjustments. Holiday in the square footage. <laughs> There's things called adjustments. So, you know, if you're going to add a thousand square feet, maybe that's that will be worth it. But if you're only going to add like, you know, a hundred square feet to a property or 50 square feet, like that's just really may not have as much impact. But as it would, if you're like, you know, totally redoing your your uh, kitchen, adding hardwood floors or some type of superior appeal to your property. But I would say pools and large accessory units, workshops, I mean, that adds some some value because you can't really move those things. So, so I thought pools didn't really add value. I thought because the rule of thumb is if you're getting a pool, get it for yourself, not to add value to your house. Well, a lot of people add things to their house and really it's only just a uh, owner's want for their property. But, you know, you can be in a neighborhood where, you know, you don't have a pool, but there's other homes that's in your neighborhood that's selling at X amount with pools. So that's like a good indication that, hey, if I add a pool, I probably, my value would potentially be, be at this price point. I'm one of those people as a as an agent and trying to pick my right spot investor. I'm one of those people that goes around with the uh, appraiser and literally when he comes in, I have this booklet and I'm like, hey, here's everything that you need. Here are the most recent. Here's what's sold. And I'm, I got the highest. I mean, the highest <laughs> stuff. But I'm bringing good data. <laughs> but the data that I'm bringing is literally the highest amount of homes that sold as much as I can possibly get as close to the home as as possible and I'm trying my best not to get on the appraiser's nerves but um it happens and I'm just trying I'm trying to bring that value and I'm trying to bring the data so give me my appraisal (laughs) you know it's it's really really crucial right because the whole thing you guys can blow the whole thing up you know, with if you if your opinion is not one that's favorable to the client, but it's really important that you guys just what I'm trying to say is just that you have the right data. So when I'm coming to you and I'm bringing my list of things so that you can see things my way, what do you recommend? What type of data uh, should I bring to you? And what's really the most important thing that you're looking at in regards to comps? When you like, are you looking at only recently sold? Or are you looking at pending? Are you looking at, you know, the competition in the area? Or are you only looking at sold in school? Like, tell me what you look at to determine the value. Well, most appraisers are going to get the most recent comparable to the subject as far as like condition just similar uh, characteristics. To be honest, you can give, I mean, if that's what you want to do, give, you know, different data to appraisers, but most appraisers are trained to, you know, pick the right comps. So, I mean, it may do some good, but nine times out of 10, they're going to probably use what they feel is most comparable. And so basically, you know, it's kind of like a gray area, you know. So you're not looking at my information. If we if we show up at the same property and I give you my booklet, you're not looking at my info. <laughs> well, I mean, you may ha- you may bring something that that's within something that they may choose. So, I mean, you just never know. But I feel like 
I mean, you. Like, I feel like Marcus is being nice right now. He's like, no, go have a seat, please. Let me do my job. Exactly. No, I've got it. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it really all depends on who you get that day because you can have two appraisers look at the same property, use the same data, but one is just more conservative than the other, and they may have a valid reason to do that. So, it just really all depends on who you get that day. You know, how do so. I get the less conservative <laughs> But um, that's the beauty about being trained to do that type of work because you're not really taking in consideration anything that may seem biased or or partial, or you're just basically looking at what what you're doing, what your scope of work is, and determining the market value for this this property. So it's not really a lot of outside influences that goes into that type of work, you know, when you're trained. So so basically is it's just a gray area. I mean, you may we're gonna you may bring, we're gonna bring like, that up. I think that's something that Ebony wanted. Not to cut you off, I think that's something that Ebony wanted just to, to talk about. So we're going to save that one for the end and talk about the training and the qualifications. I think you bring up a really great point. Just to just to kind of keep it on and dive into this, the work into the home. So I think we have a lot of investors that are kind of listening in on the podcast. A lot of uh, budding investors, new, and wanting to know what exactly do I do to add value to the home and also... You know, we, we do, in, in the culture, we do a lot of work that sometimes isn't done by a general contractor. Sometimes we just know somebody that can right. do this and that can add this particular room, but maybe he isn't certified, but he does a really good job and he's <laughs> going to get the job done. Right. So how, honestly, just tell me, how does that affect the property? Like, how does that having unpermitted work, is that come in good or bad? Like, how does the bank view that? Well, depending on where you get in finance for your deal, I mean, that just depends. But as an investor myself, I think everybody knows something that may do, you know, some work not at the top, top range of the, of what you're trying to do, but at the end of the day, it's all going to come back to condition. You know, you, you may use that person that's, that's not going to charge you as much, but the quality probably is not where you want it to be to get a certain price point. So, so that's something I think every investor just has to really consider. Am I going to pay premium price to get premium value on, you know, after the repairs are done? I mean, that's, that's everybody's own choice but in my opinion I feel like it all depends on the neighborhood because you don't want to get into a situation where you're over improving and you just spend an extra 10k which you're not gonna get that back in value but if you kind of would have kind of did a little digging in the neighborhood you probably would see that but I just think it really all boils down to what kind of condition you're trying to get the property to and then what specific price point you're trying to reach because the person that that's going to do not the top of top end of their repair you got to make sure that they're going to get you to that premium quality you're looking for to be clear my guy does premium work he does <laughs> he does quality <laughs> he does quality work he just may not be certified <laughs> is what i'm saying 
But what you're saying is it doesn't really matter. It's really about having the best or the neighborhood, right? It's really about other factors, not necessarily whether the work is unpermitted or permitted or not. What you're saying is that doesn't matter. Well, depending on, you know, your end goal or what you're doing on the property, you may want to get permitted work done. But, you know, every property has is going to have its own, <laughs> or every investor is going to have their own plan. So it just kind of depends on them. Okay, so what happens if I disagree with this appraisal? I know you said we're stuck with it, but can you dispute a dep uh, an appraisal? Well, like I said, every state has an appraisal board, so... So you have to go in front of the appraisal board? Yeah, so I think in my earlier career, I think I had that happen to me like one time, but typically if you're, you as appraiser using the right data, I mean, it's, it's gonna be hard to kind of justify that you did something outside of bounds. But that's the beauty about just the appraisal industry because you have to have some supreme integrity to do this work because the appraisal comes blank. You're filling in everything in there. So, and then you're, you're electronically signing it. So you're responsible for everything in there. So I just think um, typically people that's in the business, they pretty much use and do pretty much the right thing. So, but like I said, every uh, state has an appraisal board and you want to go that route. Okay. So yeah, that sounds like it's a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> Always, you know, but I just think it's a shot in the dark. <laughs> I just think if you're signing these reports, you're responsible for everything in there. So I just how do commercial appraisals differ from residential ones? Or um, is there a difference? Yeah, so um so typically depending on what type of commercial property it is, you may have to have a different kind of certification, like if you think about it, you know, airports get appraised, uh, hospitals, schools, like all these huge things of commercial, you know, have to have a value too. So typically the appraisal general uh, is pretty much the highest certification you can go. And they pretty much do a lot of those high value uh, commercial deals. And typically you got certified residential and state license, you know, a lot of those designations typically just deal with just residential properties. But even in, uh, you, you think about forestry, there's people that actually go and value timber. <laughs> and so, yeah, so they value land and it does, it's just different kind of thing when you get to the top of top level of, uh, of those appraisal designations. Did you say timber? Yeah, like land with trees. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think about it. <laughs> just, I, you know, you don't think about that until you... Yeah. yeah. Like, the beauty about the appraisal industry is that there's so many different things you need an appraisal for. Definitely when you buy financing, banks foreclose on properties, you need appraiser. Even when you try to remove your mortgage insurance, you know, you may need to get the property reappraised to, to do that. Even in divorce cases, you need an appraiser the attorney needs an appraiser for that. So it's just so many different things that you can um, you can get yourself into if you're in that industry. I'm all about, so, you know, real women, real estate, we, 
we have a lot of investors that listen to us, but I think we also have a lot of people who are just trying to find their way as far as a real estate career. So my question is more so along the lines of what are the steps and qualifications and certifications needed if someone is interested in becoming an appraiser? I know you mentioned there's like a, a general, general appraiser general uh-huh. certification. So like, I don't know if you could break that down a little bit more and maybe help some people who are considering that career path. Yeah, so it's definitely it's about three certifications you can get. You can get a state license, uh, you can get a certified residential license, and then you can get a appraisal general. Uh, like I was saying before, a lot of the state license, certified residential, they do a, a, typically a lot of residential properties, but appraisal general pretty much does pretty much anything that's income-based or high value, high dollar, like hospitals and airports and things of that nature. But there's a licensing process for every state and typically go to the appraisal board in every state and get some information. You can also go to the appraisal institute, which they give out a lot of information on uh, becoming a license. But I got licensed back before the housing crisis happened. So it was just, I think it was a lot challenging. Even back then, you definitely have to uh, take several different policy procedures courses or introductory appraisals like there's definitely several different courses that you're going to have to pay and take a test and pass that to get credit for the class and then you have to go and do an apprenticeship with an appraisal company to actually kind of be in the field and uh, get a certain amount of hours as needed to qualify for the uh, licensing process and then you have to uh, take a test and then that's pretty much how you get get licensed to to do that. But I under, I really understand why they make it challenging to some effect because once you got a license, you're just out in the market. You got to know what you're doing. I mean, you can find your house, dream house, get your right loan with with the right rate. But if you don't have the value, there's no deal. So people that's out there in the industry definitely got to know what they're doing because that's a lot of different factors that's being weighed in there. So I understand why they make the process the way it is because it's very important. Yeah. Is there like continuing education too? Like, do you have to go back to like not get recertified, but like, do you have to do like a certain number of trainings? Yeah. Certification? Just, just like with any license, have to go and do uh, some CE and keep you abreast of it on different changes and just different things that may come up. And so it's definitely typical. But I will say it's a little challenging. It's a different kind of thing, you know, outside of being like an agent or mortgage broker. It's just a lot more uh, in-depth training that you have to do and to to really be good at your craft. In my situation, um, like I said, I was able to start a company pretty young, but I did. I just saw that it wasn't any young minorities kind of in this business. That's why I met, that's what made me get motivated to get into the business. And, um, and then also too, it's a great business because you can't close on a deal without one. <laughs> so if you- You'll always you know, have a job. Yeah, you if you know yeah. that type of work, you always be needed. And so that's what I saw at a young age coming out of college. I just thought that if I could put all my efforts this way, I could potentially do well young. 
All right, that leads me to my favorite question. What's that portfolio looking like? What is your investor? What do your investments currently look like? And what are you? What are your goals for your your personal investment portfolio? I'm just always looking for deals, but um, I typically try to do a few a year, just depending. This year has been kind of crazy with COVID, but you know I have multiple deals that I've done along with rental properties and stuff of that nature. So, so are you more of a buyer and hold or flip or wholesale? Like which, what's your, what's your ratio? What are you looking well, for? Well, just whenever I'm kind of like a, when I see a good deal type person, I'm not just really active in the, in the market. Cause the other thing about appraising is you really get good into that industry. You already know a good deal before anybody else really did, you know? So that way you could not be like such of a emotional investor into deals. You know, you just kind of see things. Oh, okay, this is, this looks, looks like a good one. So, but just continue to find deals and uh, maybe potentially help people identify good deals in the future. Um, but, you know, in my position right now, the beauty about appraising is I've had field experience as a uh, fee appraiser, pretty much, but now I'm actually in a position where I'm putting values on properties all over America. So definitely different ways of valuation that I've learned myself. So I think for me, it's just trying to just increase my knowledge base and just continue to be an expert. Right. So since you do have inside knowledge, you know, and you get first dibs of knowing if it's a good deal or not, can you just pass that information on or is that considered like inside trading? <laughs> I mean, basically it's part of your skills with any job that, you know. I mean, uh, I'm talking about for me. Can you pass that information? Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, is that inside uh, trading? If you gave me like, if you don't want the deal and you're like, hey, this might be a good deal. You might want to look into this. I mean, personally for me, or is that like inside trading, like with stocks, you can't I mean, really I, I, kind of I don't think so. I mean, I just think once you gain uh, some knowledge, that's your knowledge for the rest of your life. So I don't think it's outside bounds of like helping people identify good deals and not good deals. I mean, when I first started, until I really realized like, hey, these are really the type of deals you need to be looking at, instead of like just looking for any property that needs repairs, because in actuality, just because a property needs repairs doesn't mean it's a good deal. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> if you come across a deal you don't want, and it's a deal on the table somehow or another that needs a home, please let me know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Most still looking for myself, okay? <laughs> you bring up a good point, Kim, because there is, like, we, we have an in-house appraiser, and my, my mentor is looking at a house in Modesto, and as he's looking at the house, he just reached out to the, uh, our appraiser slash, he got his license to be a realtor as well. So he's appraising and doing that. And he basically, re we reach out to him, like anytime we see something and he's like, nope, that neighborhood is bad. And don't right. don't necessarily buy that so you bring up a good point you guys do you know know this stuff first and the reason that you know i almost stole kim's uh, question is because if you can if let's just, you're not doing this on purpose but let's just say a deal just happens to fall through because you under or your 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 appraisal came in lower than the than the purchase price and that deal falls through but you know that it's still a good potential home you can still buy it like you can still recognize that this is a deal and potentially get it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but I, I mean, imagine that maybe a conflict of interest. Not really sure. That's well, what I was trying to see. Is that a conflict of interest or anything? Well, most people, depending on what capacity people are in, you definitely have to let people know what you're doing, what hats you're wearing. So I think more on the integrity side would probably be. Yeah, you know, I hear that. Have to do that. So, but typically, like for me, when I got started in real estate, I wanted to learn the whole entire industry. So, yeah, I ran up my appraisal company, but I also wanted to learn mortgages. So. I ended up doing mortgages for a few years while I was running an appraisal company, <laughs> you know? So you just de yeah. definitely have to identify what license you have and, you know, make sure, you know, there's nothing un unethical, on. you know, yeah. that's going on, you know? So, but that's what you should do anyway. I just feel like people that's in this business should always wear their ethical hat yeah. every day because- Absolutely. So tell know, my listeners, Sorry to cut you off there. I just sure. wanted to say, man, you have just provided so much just great information and just so just like been a wealth of knowledge in regards to like unpacking a little bit, just what exactly an appraiser does, where you can add value to your home as an investor, what you can bring to, to an appraiser to add value, making sure you have the right data. And then just talking about, you know, some of that unpermitted work or, you know, what happens if you like disagree with an appraiser and the difference if you have a commercial, if you're on the commercial investing side and the difference between that and the, the residential investing side, right? So just, just thank you for that. In the future, uh, I got a few things going on. I'm kind of focusing on helping more, you know, the minority community be introduced to this business. Because I think it's so important and it's such a lack of minority representation. I definitely want to kind of like highlight a few of my experiences and what motivated me to kind of get into this business. I can appreciate that. I think just we're always just philanthropic and thinking about ways that we can help the community and especially the youth in the community. We often talk about how we can have you know these youth, but they often are left out of the conversation or they're not taught how to continue the generational wealth and how they're not taught and brought into the conversation or to, to pass it on. And so many deals are had because those kids or those children do not um, understand the fundamentals of maintaining the home and home ownership and you know, things like that. It's crazy how people don't even know what an appraisal is because there's a vast majority of people that don't buy a home or looking into the different aspects of real estate. And I really think it's all about finding your passion. You know, for me, I found my passion young and I never really looked back. And over these past 15 years of, you know, being out in the field or valuing properties, doing some government work, you know, it's just been feel like a, uh, a know, fun job. Yeah. yeah like something that you've been enjoying to, doing. Yeah. Kid going to class for the first day. It's still fun. It's interesting. It's, and you definitely awesome. can use your skills, you know, in your personal world. Absolutely. I love it, man. I want to thank you so much for joining us and thank you for doing this. We, we have these three rapid just questions and the, the goal is the first thing that comes to your mind and to, rapid fire so let's see if you can play this game with us uh oh the first question don't be scared are you scared say you scared tell us tell us the last song that you listened to last song that i listened to 
Don't make actually, up something. Uh, it was actually on Pandora. It was a gospel song uh, by Kirk Franklin. I love it. It's always either gospel or trap. See, you gotta follow the I'm saying, market. two categories. Exactly. That's why I said either it's, gospel it's either trap. Both gospel trap. What's up? Kirk Franklin does it. He got some gospel trap songs. You need to um, what do you call it? Market that? Not market that. You need to like put your stamp on that gospel trap. Somebody go. Somebody go take it. You need to um, <laughs> patent it. Something. I forget what you call it. Damn trademark. it, get that trademark. Thank you, Kim. Damn it, get that trademark. Because that is going, somebody going to take that. So, movie. What movie do you watch that over and over that if it came on, you're never going to pass it up? You're going to watch it. Uh, Life with uh, Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. That's like one of my favorite movies ever. We've gotten that a couple of times. So many good quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That'd be another question, right? What's your favorite quote from the movie? But we're gonna pass. We're gonna pass. All right. So <laughs> so just just our one of our basic ones that I love, you know, pandemic has just been going on. It's like groundhog day. And just the same thing it's just been happening over and over again. What's what's the one thing you're looking forward to when you can do anything without wearing a mask or taking a vaccine for it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, travel without restrictions is like the biggest thing for me. I love going to places with a beach. So, so what place cool. are you looking forward to going? Like with the beach? Yeah. What's your next spot? Probably nowhere, no time soon. But <laughs> come on, uh, this is. I did uh, Aruba. Okay. When we can. Yeah. Aruba's open, by the way. There's people there. Yeah. Oh really? I'm kinda, yeah. I'm just kind of taking it easy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus so. said, I won't be one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> you go first. It won't be. <laughs> you tell me You tell me how to go. You tell me how to work right. out. <laughs> yeah. you know, I've, I've decided to kind of probably take the year off. Yeah, I agree. Well, we appreciate you being on. Appreciate you coming on today, sharing all your knowledge and your expertise and certifications and letters behind your name with us. We definitely appreciate it. And um we look forward. We look forward to to having you back one day. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you, awesome. Marcus. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. No Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.